This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. Good morning, everybody. It is so great to be here. Um, You know what is so fun about coming to Grace Church is I really don't feel like a visitor. Um, it, It is such a joy to see you, to see so many uh, friends. It's just neat to, you know, we live 300 miles away, and yet when I come, it feels like it's three minutes away. Um, so cool. Now, what was a little scary about what Craig said is he, did you hear him say that, that I kind of am the face of sovereign grace in our region? Now, if my wife were here, she'd be going, gross. <laughs> yeah, honey, but you married me, okay? Actually, I would be saying gross, but uh, hopefully I can, I can represent the face of sovereign grace and not this isn't the face that causes you nightmares tonight. Um, guys, it is so good to be with you. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to be here this weekend um, is because you're celebrating nine years of God's faithfulness and God's grace in planting this church and in growing this church and, and the vision of the church being centered in Frisco Square. And there's a lot to celebrate, isn't there? Um, I have a lot of, to celebrate, too, because as, as you mark your birthday, um, it's an easy way for me to count God's blessings, too, because with your birthday, that also marks the time frame for when Craig was our regional leader, um, for eight years, when, when he moved here, he not only uh, was given the responsibility to lead this local church, but Craig was also given the responsibility to be our regional leader. Craig was the more handsome face of Sovereign Grace. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, not the more humble face of Sovereign Grace. But the more handsome face. Um, <laughs> guys, for eight years, uh, Craig and Ginger as a family, Craig and Ginger as a family, Craig as a regional leader, then Pete and Tom and Bob has had a unique role to play in my life. You know, you know that we live in a fallen world, and you know that being a local church is not always easy. Um, you know that there, being a local church involves tears. Being a local church involves how do we break through this obstacle? How, you know, uh, and Craig, for eight years, has given such good care to our local church. But he's given such good care to my heart. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to do that for you. <laughs> I, I want to be... If I could grow up to be like Craig, you know, in, in, in being a regional leader, that's, that's what I want to do. I want you guys to feel the benefit of being in a family of churches, not a bureaucracy of churches. You know, you might have been raised more of an, in a denominational environment where, where when you think of that, you might think of more bureaucracy and red tape. Um, well, that's not what we think. We think of connectedness in the gospel. We think of connectedness and how do we encourage one another in the gospel. We think of connectedness in caring for one another. So I'm hoping that it's meaningful to you guys that certainly your your local eldership is accountable one to another. They're accountable to you. They care for one another. But I, I want you to experience the blessing that we've been experiencing for years and years, that there's other people that are caring for your leaders as well. 
And there's other people that are caring for you as well. And it's gotten a lot bigger than just the regional leader role. Under our new government structure, it's really mobilized pastors from all over our region to have caregiving responsibilities in our churches. So that means not only are you receiving good care locally, uh, there's a regional leader role, certainly that's involved, but there's an ordination committee, and there's a judicial review committee, and there's a church planting committee. And, and it really excites me to think of the men in our region. I love the pastors of our region. And all of these guys have a little bit of a part to play in encouraging you, in, 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 in applauding and cheering on your mission as a church. So I just want to love you well. I want to love you in Jesus' name, and I want you to, to experience the care that we've experienced for so many years. So please pray for me, okay? That, that would be a joy. Well, would you open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 90? The title of the message this morning is called Numbering Our Days. That phrase, numbering our days, you'll see it's taken from verse 12 of Psalm 90. And uh, that verse says, Lord, teach us. So it, it's a prayer. So this, this whole psalm is a prayer. But the, the intensity of the prayer heightens at, at verse 12. And, and the, the verse says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Moses is the one that wrote this psalm. Yeah. I said Moses. I know so often when I'm, when I'm referring to the Psalms, I, I almost default to thinking, well, David must have written it. But this is the one Psalm that Moses had written. And it was a prayer that he prayed for himself. It was a prayer that he prayed for the, the people of Israel, the people of God. And when Moses is asking God to help him number his days, <laughs> he's, not, he's not saying, Lord, would you help me with my math homework? He's, he's not asking for help with his math. But he is asking God for wisdom to know how a people who have witnessed the glory of God in providing a miraculous deliverance, a miraculous salvation, we could say, from bondage. How, do, how does that kind of people, how does a redeemed people live in the midst of a fallen and busy and distracting world? So if you'll join me as we read Psalm 90, and then we'll, we'll pray. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it's renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now, you feel the transition here. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity, have mercy on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Oh, Lord, I don't, there's no better way to pray than to pray. Teach us to number our days. Lord, in the light of limited lives, in the light of impending judgment and justice, and in the light of limitless grace, teach us to number our days. Lord, give us a fresh glimpse of your glorious face in Christ. And may your glory be the joy of Grace Church. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Imagine having a bank that credits your account each morning with $86,400. It carries over no balance from day to day. Every evening, the bank deletes whatever part of the balance you fail to withdraw and invest during the day. What would you do? Wouldn't you drain that dry? I mean, you would drain that account dry, right? If, you, if we had any ounce of wisdom at all, we would drain that turkey dry. We'd draw out every penny and we'd use it, wouldn't we? Well, each of us in a unique way really has a bank like that. The bank has a name. It's called the Bank of Time. Every morning it credits you with 86,400 seconds. Now some of you are going to go, is that right? I, that's okay, I, I, I would do the same thing. If I'm wrong, tell me after service, but I think I did my math right. Every night it writes off as lost whatever of this you fail to invest to a good purpose. It, it carries over no balance. It allows no overdrafts. Each day it opens a new account for you, and each night it burns the remains of the day. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. There's no drawing against tomorrow. You must live in the present on today's deposits. Well, that's an interesting analogy, don't you think? That would be one way to number our days, but is mere time management what Moses is most trying to help us with in Psalm 90. 
In Psalm 90, Moses says that our, our, the years of our life are maybe 70 or 80, which really kind of grabbed my attention because in September I turned 55. And so doing the math, you might help me with this one too, <laughs> but if the years of my life are 70, it's a very sobering thought to think, I have 15 years left? That's pretty sobering. But is this psalm just trying to get me to use those 15 years to the best of my ability? Is this just a psalm telling us we need to be better time managers? Is is that the whole goal of this? Well, listen, while good time management will be a byproduct of Psalm 90, good time management by itself is not the ultimate goal of Psalm 90. For Moses, the ultimate goal is saying, God, with these limited numbered days that we have, how do I live for your glory? And that's the big picture of this. How do I live for your glory in the midst of a fallen world and in the midst of the fact that I've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and and that spirit wars against my flesh? How, How do I live for your glory in a world that's filled with busyness and distraction? Aren't we constantly bombarded by busyness? It, it, sometimes it means our jobs are demanding 70-hour weeks. Sometimes it's, it's taking our kids. And I talked to one, one group of parents a few weeks ago, and, and they were saying they took their kids from soccer practice, and then right when soccer, soccer practice was over, they took them to baseball practice. And then from baseball practice, then they tried to get them home and give them some sort of nutritious meal besides chicken nuggets, right, all the time. Nothing wrong with chicken nuggets, you know. But, um, and, and, and then they still helped their kids get their homework done and, and hoped that they could squeeze in eight hours of sleep in there. The grass needs mowing. The trim needs painting. The car needs an oil change. Technological advancements are happening. Technology realizes how busy we are, right? I mean, so thankful. Oh, that's nice. And and these advancements are happening at an exponential rate. Many of the advancements are intended to make our lives more manageable and more comfortable. And yet the very technologies that can serve us, for me, they also can distract me. Tony Reinke, dear friend of Sovereign Grace, says this, computers are getting strapped around us and stuck on us, moving into our watches and our glasses. They're attempting to colonize our bodies. I thought that phrase was so, so funny. That was so good. The reality of living with an iPhone or any smart connected device is that it makes reality feel just a little bit less real. One gets over-connected. Can you identify with that? I am overconnected to the point where the thoughts and options of distant, anonymous strangers start to feel more urgent than those of my loved ones who are living in the same room with me. It's pretty sobering to think about Jesus' parable of the sower in times like this. Do you remember how the seed fell on the, the thorns? It was sown among the thorns, the seed of God's word, which meant that Those were the people who would hear God's word, but because of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, they enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. Boy, did you think that God had a prophetic element (laughs) to our time in regard to that? As if I don't have enough real issues and cares of my own. My iPhone pings and dings and rings. 
and draws my attention to the cares and desires of the world. And it's in real time. David Wells says that the average person shifts tasks every three minutes. And you might think, no way, but way. (laughs) Think about your day. Think about, you could be, you, you, you could be focused on something, bing, text. And, and it is so compelling, isn't it? It's the weirdest phenomena. This dinging electronic thing, I can be talking to my wife. We can be having date night, right? And I'm looking into her beautiful eyes. Ding! You feel you're driving and you know you shouldn't text and drive. Ding! I mean, you just. What is the deal? I believe that we're, we're distracted every three minutes. And then David Wells says, and even in those three minutes, we interrupt ourselves in order to check Facebook or something, right? I mean, it's. Oh my goodness, it's, it's really wild. The latest news and chatter can rob our focus. It can knock our lives off center. It can drown out the voice of God. That's what's the biggest thing. The persistent tendency of our age is to push us toward what's most immediate. You know that. But that's not always what's most important. We're constantly bombarded by what is urgent, but not by what is ultimate. This, of course, has huge implications on how we steward our faith and manage our time. It has huge implications about our commitments. Guys, doesn't it seem that we are increasingly, even in our church families, that we're only as committed as it is convenient? Have you ever had somebody say, well, you've invited them to something, and their response is, "Um, thank you, I I can't commit yet. Well, do you have anything on that date in your calendar? No. I mean... (laughs) Okay, you know, there was a time when if you had an open date on the calendar, that would mean you could commit. But we're living in a time in which I might get a better offer, you know? And so people are hesitant to commit. Youth pastors are going crazy because of this kind of thing. Getting kids to commit to things. Well, in our text this morning, Moses is crying out to God for wisdom on how to live for his glory in such a fallen, such a busy Such a dinging and pinging and ringing world. So our main point this morning really is this. God, I think this will help you kind of track through the psalm. God calls us to wisely manage our limited days in the light of his limitless grace. God calls us to wisely manage our limited days in the light of his limitless grace. So the first point is this. How do we number our days? Well, Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2 tell us that we number our days by beholding the eternal glory of God. As I I told you at the very beginning, the psalm was written by Moses, and it was written when the children of Israel were still wandering in the wilderness. So Moses is very concerned at how a people that had experienced the glory and mercy, and that, oh, I love those two phrases together, the glory and mercy 
of God and being delivered from their bondage in Egypt. How could that kind of people so easily and quickly be distracted in their devotion to God? And how could they so quickly be conformed to the fallen world around them? This was a people, remember, who had seen the angel of death pass over their homes because they had placed the blood of an innocent lamb over their doorposts. These were a people who had seen God's glory in a pillar of fire. They'd seen the Red Sea part, and they crossed over on the dry ground. And then they saw the Red Sea fall back on to their enemies who were chasing them, wanting to bring them back into slavery again. Yet, within weeks of such a great deliverance. They create for themselves a substitute God and they build their world and their worship around it. God's people were so easily distracted and they didn't need iPhones, right? So the problem ultimately is not outside of us. It's not, so I I want you to please, guys, I'm not pinging, I'm not pinging on you. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Um, Listen, I'm as busy as anyone, so I know, this isn't just, oh, let me beat you up a little bit more about how busy we are and how we shouldn't be busy. No, no. It's just that the problem's not outside of us. The problem isn't iPhones, and the problem's not technology. The problem has been since the fall of man. we, We didn't need an iPhone to be distracted. The golden calf was proof of that, wasn't it? The people started numbering their days like the fallen, godless culture around them. And instead of revealing the glory of God to that culture by the way they lived, Moses is realizing that in a fallen world um, that makes the urgent seem more important than the ultimate, the world's distractions cause people to see man magnified and God minimized. I think what Moses is saying here is what we need. If we're going to steward our lives well, we need to see man minimized and God magnified. That will help you order your day better than anything, is to get a clear vision of God day by day. And we get that clear vision, of course, thankfully in Jesus, don't we? So in verses 1 and 2, they teach us that we need to see our personal lives in the light of God's eternal glory. Because we can never see ourselves and this life accurately if we're measuring ourselves by ourselves. Uh, we, will never see, we will never see our use of time or our use of finances or our relationships with others or our work accurately if we measure ourselves by ourselves. Because isn't that, I mean, that's part of our problem, isn't it? We're, we're thinking of time management as it would pertain to, to calendars and schedules and events and things outside of us. We, we tend to measure things by ourselves, by others, by what others tell us is important. So in order to number our days accurately, doesn't it make sense to know the God who made the day, right? It's just kind of a cool thought. Lord, you made today, so let me know you better so that I can know how to manage this day in a way that you intended it, right? This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is a day that God has given grace for. This is a day that God has given mercy for. So Lord, in the way that you designed my day, let me walk in this day in the grace and mercy and the limitless grace of my God. Guys, all accurate self-evaluation begins with a right view of God himself. And that's where verse 1 begins. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. 
in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Guys, at the time that Moses is writing this, a nation would find its identity and its confidence and its security in the property that it had in the land that it owned. Another way of saying this is that the people found their identity in their dwelling place. Moses and the people of God, though, were wandering, aren't they? They're without a land in this world. They're wandering in the wilderness. So it was very easy for them to try to make a a home for themselves, to try to find a dwelling place in the world, to to create an identity for themselves in the same way that a non-believer would make a life for themselves. In a real and significant way, our time management and our money management will be a reflection of where you find your identity. It really will. Even more, your, your management of the day will be determined by where you find your security or where you're hoping to find your security, right? So where's your dwelling place been lately? Maybe you've been seeking your security or your identity in being that perfect parent. That's a tough place to live there, isn't it? Perfection's a pretty tough place to live, isn't it? (laughs) Or perhaps you've been looking for your dwelling place in a better retirement or, or maybe getting that promotion that your work could bring you. What have you been dwelling on? And what have you been dwelling in? Moses says, even if we're a people who are not yet living in our own land, even if we don't have a physical home, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You're our security. Why should I fear? Why should I run around like a chicken with my head cut off when you are my dwelling place? You're my identity. You're my security. You're my refuge. And then in a few deft strokes, Moses paints a picture of the eternality of God. He he, he says from, from everlasting, and he points us backwards to not just even the beginning of the world, but from everlasting. God with with no end, right? And then he works his way from the previous generations to the formation of the mountains and the creation of the earth. And then he goes to eternity future from everlasting. You are our dwelling place. Lord, you're our lasting security. We don't need to try to find our meaning and our purpose and our our identity and our treasures in this world. We don't need to keep up with the Joneses. We don't have to find our happiness in what this world can offer us and trying to find contentment in this passing world when God's our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. There's a lot of contentment in that, isn't there? There's a lot of security in that. Our place of safety is not found in short-term answers that the world can offer us, but in the eternal God himself. And I love the fact that he says, Lord, you are our dwelling place. It's, it's, It's personal, isn't it? I love the fact that God is personal to us. Guys, please know, please remember... When, when One of the reasons we celebrate the Incarnation, so as December Rome comes along and we look at Advent and we look at the, the Incarnation of Jesus, please, please remember, isn't it so good that God didn't send Jesus and stop like three feet 
from earth. Jesus' feet got, got close to us, but he just stopped about three feet above the earth. Now, he came to be our very present help in time of need, didn't he? He came to be a personal Savior, knowing every, the number of every hair on your head. He came to be a personal Savior and taking your sin personally, didn't he? Yeah, Jesus took your sin personally. And he took it personally to the cross. And he, he was willing to let God treat him as though he personally committed your sin. God, you are our dwelling place. From everlasting to everlasting, you are our refuge and our security. And that gives us security to live in a fallen world. And now you see the contrast. He's going to go from here as God everlasting to everlasting. And now he's going to kind of explode every dwelling place idea that we would maybe try to find on, on earth. So the second point this morning is that we number our days by remembering that our days are limited. God is our dwelling place. He's everlasting to everlasting. But our days are limited. And you see that in verses 3 through 6. Moses was a man surrounded by death. Let's kind of just put sandals on today. Let's try to walk in, 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 the, in the council of the Old Testament scriptures. He led Israel out of bondage in Egypt to take them to the promised land. You know that. But because of their disobedience, God determined that that generation should not enter the land, but die in the wilderness. Even Moses died, right? Only Joshua and Caleb lived to enter the promised land of that generation. Listen, let's do some more math. I don't know why there's so much math in this sermon today. Oh, I guess it's because we're numbering our day. Get it out. See, that's where we wish Jan was here, my wife, because she would be going. Guys, if God's judgment was applied to everyone 20 and older when they came out of Egypt, over 1.2 million men and women and children, no, 20 and over, over 1.2 million men and women died during the 40 years in the wilderness. Theologians believe that a part of Moses' shepherding responsibilities was to deal with an average of 40 to 80 funerals a day. There were a lot of graves in the desert. You couldn't escape it. How many of you would want to live with a cemetery in your backyard? And yet wherever you go, so now here we're going to move again in the wilderness. Oh, thank God we're away. We get to move away from that cemetery, 40 to 80 more deaths. And we only build another cemetery. You have, when you would have to face that, you'd get a better perspective on how limited our lives are, wouldn't you? And as Moses saw these people whom he knew and he'd worked with over the years dying, he said, how should such a fleeting life be lived with meaning and value? That's what Moses says. Man returns back to dust. When we die, our bodies return to their original form. We return to dust again. And I, listen, it seems like we live in a world that tries to convince us that there is no death. There is no dying. And listen, this morning, do you really feel like you're going to die? Isn't there something that, it's almost like God's written sort of an eternity on our hearts. That's a scripture. (laughs) But but isn't there, it's like, wait a minute, there's something bigger than this life. It doesn't feel like I'm going to die. Well, actually, when I get up in the morning, it's feeling a little bit more (laughs) like 
yeah, I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> but, but, but we fight against this. We fight against it with every ounce of energy we have. The Ebola thing has caused shockwaves into us because we, please don't remind us that we're going to die someday. You know, I mean, it, I mean, let's take precautions and let's take... My precious mother-in-law, she doesn't know the Lord. She lives up in Michigan. I love her to pieces. And she called, I have two sons that live in the Dallas area, and she called us uh, when the news started breaking out that Ebola had come to Dallas. And she called and she said, are the boys okay? Mom, Dallas is bigger than like 10 people. (laughs) Mom? No, (laughs) she didn't didn't hang up. Um, But there is a part of it, isn't it, that we, we we don't just respond wisely. We respond in fear because we, we, we slowly believe that this life is all there is. And God, we got we, we to get everything we can out of this life. We fight aging with every ounce of energy. We have oils and creams and plastic enhancements. And if someone were to ask us what we're doing with all that oil and cream, I guess we could just say, man, I'm just trying to hold this dust together. I, you know, at the end of our lives, we're, we're, we might be an oilier pile of dust, but we're still going to be a pile of dust. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's all these things that pastors have to... Now, if you sell makeup... <laughs> thank you. you, you yeah, thank you. I mean, you know, praise God for beautifying our already beautiful wives, you know. Did I get... Did that sound... Anyway, let's move on. I just see myself... There's, I'm digging a hole somewhere in there. So, um, guys, Moses realizes that the aging and dying process is a reminder of our need for God... So when you wake up in the morning and you're sore, there's a, there's a redemptive element to that. There's a redemptive element that says, oh yeah, I need a savior. This life is temporal. This life is limited. But he's from everlasting to everlasting. So God, thank you for my aches and pains because they're reminding me that there is a better day ahead for me. They're reminding me that there is a dwelling place that, that lasts forever. And that's my hope and that's my joy. We're like the Middle Eastern grasses. They look vibrant and beautiful in the morning, but at the end of the day, at the end of a hot day, they're just dried out and dead. But the reality is we don't attend 40 funerals a day, do we? If you don't have someone near to you who's suffering or someone who's died, and if you have, please, I hear my heart. I'm not trying to make light of that. If you're grieving today, I want to grieve with you. But that, that death... It's grievous. We miss the people that, that we love that have gone on. But that death is to be lifting up our countenance to remember this world is not our home. You know that old song, we're just a passing through. There is a dwelling place for the people of God that's from everlasting to everlasting. Let's don't live as though this life is all there is. And I think, I think that's what causes us to make foolish decisions. It's why junior high and high school and college students, any, any junior hires here? Junior hires or senior hires? Yeah? That is so cool. I never passed junior high. So I really admire you guys. <laughs> Daddy, did he really not pass junior high? Barely. Um, how many of you can say that our high school years were our wisest years? Isn't it because we have this belief that time is unlimited? 
and consequences are limited. And it's all about now. It's all about the moment. We really need to live life in the reality of our mortality. So our brief lives, Lord, our limited lives, show us our need for an eternal God. This is a, there's a spiritual opportunity to say, God, I am dying day by day. I'm withering away. I'm finite, but you're eternal. Please help me to use the rest of my days to count for your eternal glory and the eternal good of others. Ray Ortland said it this way, we seek the Lord with urgency, not because, he's not un, not, not because he's unwilling to bless, but because we don't have forever. Thus, as numbering our days and gaining a heart of wisdom, we, we, we see a perspective of the importance of what we so highly worried about compared to God being eternal and a dwelling place for us. Well, let's go to the next point that Moses makes. Because we need to number our days by being humbled by our guilt before God. That was a sober part of the psalm, wasn't it? Where you're kind of going, oh man, what is he going to preach today? All this wrath talk. There's a lot of wrath talk in this psalm. Well, it's because there's a reason our lives are short. And, and, and it's like nobody wants to, to, to think about that. We die not because it's an accident. We die not because of some evolutionary plan. We die because there was a man named Adam who sinned against the holy God. And now in Adam, we all die. And we need to remember that. Moses realizes it's even more important than seeing that his days are limited. He's saying, God, help us to think rightly about our lives, not to just see the reality of our mortality. Help us to see the cause of our mortality. God, I I need to remember that. I need to remember there was a cause to limited lives. I need to remember there's a cause, ultimately, of cemeteries, of body aches and pains, of diseases. Ultimate cause, right? I'm not saying that that a a specific sin leads to a disease. I'm I'm looking at rooting it back in a condition that we received in Adam. He's seeing that his limited life has got to be viewed in the light of God's righteousness and God's holiness. Listen to the vocabulary. We're brought to an end. By your wrath we're dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins are seen in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. It's not enough to acknowledge that there is a God. It's it's not enough to acknowledge that people die. It's not a secret that people die. People who are not Christians have to deal with the reality of death. But to them, death just means that you just need to get the most out of life because this life is all there is. But if we, as people of God, would number our days, we need to see the connection between death and original sin. We need to see a connection there. Genesis teaches us that it's not an accident. Death is a judgment against sin. And if we don't understand how our sin has warranted God's wrath and judgment, we'll never cry out for the salvation that, that we all desperately need. And I think we, we become very poor time managers because what we need is a lot more than just a, a daytimers, right? We, we need to be able to go to God and understand that the biggest problem I face is my disobedience before God. And the, and the biggest hope I have is his answer to that disobedience through the death of his son. We need that desperately. We'll, we, we will never number our days so as to not just live with tomorrow in view, 
We, we need to number our days to live with eternity in view. And if we don't get this, we're going to think we're okay. In our reality, in our aging, in our suffering, though, it's, it's a reminder that sin has ruined our world and we are facing a judgment. Verse 11, take a peek at that real quick because this is that transitional point of the psalm when Moses says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In other words, what he's saying is most people don't. Most people don't live life like it's temporary. Most people don't live life knowing that the reason life is temporary is because there's a sin problem. Who considers your wrath? Well, we don't consider it very much, but there was this man named Jesus who did. Jesus considered the wrath of God, didn't he? And it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. He took our place on that cross. He considered the wrath of God fully and for us. And because he considered the wrath of God, we can find new life in Jesus. If if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've just thought God was a helper to help you be a better time manager, you you have a lot bigger problem than your calendar. It's not, you just don't need to reprioritize your life. You need a life that's repositioned. And how do, what do I mean by that? You're born into this world as, as a sinner, and you need a work of God's grace to transform you, to reposition you from sinner to son or to daughter. And if you've never experienced God's personal love in that way, you've never experienced the the fact that you can know God personally, that he can be your security and your new identity, and it will be an eternal dwelling place for you. He will be an eternal dwelling place for you. Turn from your sin this morning and turn in faith to Jesus who died in your place and call out for his mercy and grace. Ask him to forgive you. Surrender your heart to him, and he will be the loving leader and ruler of your life for all eternity. So, Lord, we need to consider that you considered the death we should have been considering. So here's how the the text ends. We number our days when we view our limited days in the light of his limitless grace. And that's the verses 12 through 17. In verse 12, Moses is certainly asking God to help him live his life in view of of God's eternal glory, in view of the days of man being limited on earth, in view of judgment that man deserves because of sin and the salvation man needs. But then in verses 13 through 17, Moses spends the rest of the psalm in worship and prayer, asking God to give him wisdom to live in this life, not according to limited days, not according to judgment, but thanks to Christ and thanks to mercy, according to limitless grace. Here's a, here's a, here's, I love this prayer. I just, just, this came out. Moses is praying, God, I just don't need wisdom today. I need grace. I don't just need wisdom. I need grace. I need to see your smiling face upon my life because of the work Christ did for me. I don't just need time management skills, God. I need grace. I need you. 
I need you. And that's, Moses starts unpacking that. And he really brings us back to the, the foundational truth that's kind of been peppered through the whole psalm. And that was in verse 1. Lord, you are our dwelling place. From generation to generation, from everlasting to everlasting, we need to dwell in God. How do we number our days? Dwell in God. Let's dwell in the Lord. Jesus put it this way, abide in me. Abide in me. Dwell in God. We need God to be our security. We need God to be our refuge. We need God to be the identity of our number days. And the rest of the verses, we see, how do you dwell in God? So here's a few suggestions from the verses, okay? You might want to jot these down. What does it mean to dwell in God? Well, here's one. Verse 13 would tell us to set our hope fully in God's mercy. Set your hope fully in God's mercy. Where he says, return, O Lord, please give us your, mer- your pity and your mercy. You know, we've, lo- we've, we've wandered in this wilderness so long, and we've wasted so much of our lives. But God is rich in mercy. This is, there's, I think if, if there was any sense of a, a, a burden that I had for maybe several of you this morning, it'd be this. You, you know, we listen to a sermon like this, and I don't know about you, I'm, I'm really good at guilt. I'm like guilt man. If there was a superhero, that would be me. Guilt man! You know? So when I hear a sermon like this, I I tend to number my days, and I tend to... I've numbered every mistake I make. Well, not every. I'm not that smart. There's more of them than I can count. But I don't know about you, but do you do that? Especially when you're parenting... I, now, now, you know, my, my sons are, uh, Will, actually, Will turns 23 um, next Saturday. Um, Mike is 20. Josh is 17. And it's that weird time of my life where, where it's like, oh, man, it's like a report card when your kids are leaving home to the parent. It's like I feel like a report card. And then it gets worse because now the boys kind of evaluate my parenting, too. You know, it's kind of wild. Micah, the other day, oh, I mean, what time is it? Oh, gee, guys, I'm sorry. I can't tell you that story. Well, no, I'll tell you real quick. Micah the other day says, he, he went to, the, the boys are on the worship team and worship ministry at the village, and, and uh, uh, Micah says, he went to this, conf- this weekend that Matt Chandler did, you know, on uh, the Song of Solomon. And um, so he comes and he tells me, Dad, can we talk? Sure, 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 son, we can talk. Dad, you know, you did a really good job as we were growing up teaching us what not to do about dating. It's one of those, you know, it's like you're getting a compliment, but you know, somehow there's something coming that's going to totally wipe out the compliment. And he says, but dad, you never really taught us what to do about dating. You know what I wanted to say? I taught you, you just didn't listen. But anyway, so then he goes on to say, this is what's so funny. Then he goes on to say, I think, I think Matt Chandler is going to turn that into a book, this thing. And Dad, you could get that book and read it with Josh. Josh is still home. Because it's not too late for him. So, so you know, first, I mean, I should be thankful that my son is talking to me about spiritual things, right? But here's guilt, man, na, 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 na. Right, so here I go back, and here's where I do. I number my days about my failures, 
Because I just don't see how I've measured up as a dad. And maybe you don't see how you've measured up as a, a mom or dad. Here's what, I've, what I do. I number my days, but it's not just I see failure. I create this, this monster. This, I, somehow I see my failure or my sin against my kids, my yelling at them or my impatience with them. And somehow I see that what's created is some sovereign power that will rule over my children. My mistakes or my sins become somehow sovereign, ruling over my kids, and they are forever in bondage to my failures. Isn't it great that Moses says, Lord, teach us to number our days according to your mercy. Oh, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So one of the ways to dwell in the Lord, guys, to to set your hope in mercy, not in, in where you failed in the past, but what Jesus did to wash away those sins, right? But it's even better than that. He goes further and he says, find your, here's the second point of how to dwell in the Lord. Find your satisfaction and joy in God's steadfast love. He says, satisfy us in the morning, verse 14, with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad of all of our days. Satisfy us with your covenant love, your faithful love, your promise-keeping love, in spite of what I deserve. And I love the fact that it's in the morning. I try not to get legalistic or anything with my devotions, but boy, guys, we need to press into God. We need to hear him. And there's something about coming before the Lord in the morning and seeking a heart that is satisfied in his steadfast love. He wants your heart to be satisfied in the morning with his steadfast love. George Mueller put it this way. I go to my prayer closet in the morning. I get my Bible and I pray through my Bible and I don't leave that prayer closet until my soul is happy in Jesus. And there's something wonderful about a happy soul. Have you ever noticed how focused you are when your soul is content in God? Have you ever noticed what a shield of faith it is in the distractions of the world when you're already satisfied? You're not looking for the world to bring the satisfaction to you. You've met with your Savior, who is the satisfaction and dwelling place of our hearts. Oh, satisfy our hearts, Lord, in the morning with your steadfast love. And then 15, verse 15 just builds on that. And he says, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. And as for as many years as we've seen evil. And this is another way of saying, Lord, would you restore the years the locust has eaten? Lord, would you help me believe Romans 8 when it says that that you are working all things together for the good to those who love you and those who are called according to your purpose? That's a glad thought, isn't it? It's a belief that God's mercy, he he renews us in his mercy. Our lives have been ruined by sin, but God makes us new. We sang about it this morning. So Lord, restore us. Restore the years that the locust has eaten. I'm so glad that my sins and failures are not the sovereign rulers over my children. I am so glad that a God of mercy is ruling over my children. I am so glad, guys, that a God who restores wasted years is ruling over my children. And I'm so glad he's ruling over me. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.